Beloved brothers and sisters, would you turn with me today to one of the most blessed passages of Scripture I think that has ever been written, Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 20. We'll be looking over the, this week and next week at verses all the way through verse 26. But this today, primarily verse 20 to 24a, this particular passage, 320 to 26, has been called uh, by such as John Murray and others has been referred to as arguably the most important piece of uh, the most important paragraph of writing in the history of the humankind. Because this tells us, brethren, after we have heard for three chapters of the the uh, in every conceivable way of, of the plight of man and of the utter guilt and, and mouth-stopping of man and no hope, today we are turning the corner into the glorious gospel, Lord Jesus Christ. So if you'd stand with me, let us hear together Romans 3, verses 20 to 24a. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace. Thus far for the reading of God's Word, may He bless it to our increase of faith. You may be seated, brethren. Well, as we, as I said, we have spent the past many months working through the first Romans 1, 18, all the way up through chapter 3, let me see, verse 20, in which the Apostle Paul has, he has convincingly, uh, demonstrably brought the charge and proved it that both Jews and Gentiles alike, that they are under wrath and under condemnation, and rightly so, in the court of the Almighty God, in the court of the holy, holy, righteous God, because His law has been revealed in their conscience. It has been revealed in nature so that they are without excuse. I'll remind you in Romans 1, verse 18, it speaks there of the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men, both Jew and Gentile, because what do they do in common? Whether they have the oracles of God in the scriptures as the Jews did or as we do, or whether they have the law of God written on their consciences only and also in creation, nevertheless, they all, without excuse and without exception, they all delight. And you remember Paul's indictment at the end of Romans chapter 1, verse 32, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that they that, are, that practice such things are worthy of condemnation, not only do them, but also exhort and encourage others to do the same. And to the Jews in chapter 2, who, though having the law, have not kept the law, they speak of righteousness, and yet their hearts are full of perversion. They condemn in others the very things they permit and tolerate in themselves. And 
Brethren, this is just as easily true about Christian nations and peoples where we have the scriptures of God, the oracles of God around us. That condemnation would ring true. They are all guilty. But what I want you to see today, let me say as we look and consider the burden of this passage, you know, that in our flesh, it's what Paul would have you to see today, in our flesh, we yearn to justify ourselves. That's, that is the fundamental underlying problem of humanity. In our flesh, in our fallen nature, our flesh, we yearn to justify ourselves before God and before men. We are far more concerned about our name, our reputation, than we are about God's name and His reputation, His glory. We fall short of that glory. We desire to establish our own righteousness, our own merit, rather than submitting to the righteousness of God, His judgment as well as His righteous way of salvation. Justifying ourselves as right and righteous and worthy in the sight of both God and man, rather than looking helplessly but with open hands to God Himself to justify us in His sight and before men. It is God who justifies. And brethren, as we turn to this passage today, Paul is going to show one final time in verse 20 the utter futility of seeking any attempt to justify yourself in his sight over for others. But then he's going to tell us, secondly, about the glorious reality of the righteous God who justifies freely by his grace, apart from the works of the law. Hallelujah to his name. Let's consider this together. Number one. Let's consider what he says in verse 20. There's two key points this morning. The first thing I'd have you see from verse 20 and 23, and read those again, therefore by the deeds of the law or the works of the law, many translations put that, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And then verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Paul's, the first thing he wants to press upon you and me, brethren, by way of implication, is that we must utterly reject any and all hopeless attempts to be self-justified by the works of the law. To utterly reject any attempts to justify ourselves by means of the law. We alluded to this a bit in catechism class this morning, but he wants to press this on us here. That the law is good, it is holy, it is righteous altogether. It shows us the way of righteousness, but it has no power. It is weak because of our flesh and incapable of producing the very righteousness of God that it commands. In fact, it actually incites it and inflames it. If you would, very quickly, as we said, God's law brings the knowledge of sin and its just curse and condemnation. But as I said, it has no power to prevent us from sinning. It has no power to prevent us from falling short of the glory of God. Turn to Romans 7. I know this is a familiar passage, but I just want to very quickly go through this again. And this is a bit of a hint for where any of you who might be interested to know where we're going to fall out on Romans 7 when we get there. But this shows us, brethren... Paul's burden here, he shows us here briefly what it is to seek to seek justification, to seek sanctification, either one by means of the law. You'll notice he says here, I'm just going to start, I'm going to start in verse 7. What will we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. 
For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. There it is. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, all the commandments, produced in me all manner of evil desire. From apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Skip down to verse 13. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, so that it might appear sin, was producing death in me. Through, through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become utterly, exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I, by nature, am carnal. And fleshly, literally, is what that word means. Sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. What I will to do, that I do not practice. What I hate, that I do. Brethren, you know he goes on. He demonstrates the futility of seeking the law as a means to do the righteousness of God. And he cries out at the end of the chapter, Woe is me! He ends there, says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body, from slavery to this body of death, to the body and the fleshly appetites that overwhelm my otherwise good desires? And he says, here's the answer, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then in chapter 8, just to begin there, he goes and he says, There's no condemnation, therefore, to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And he says there that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus is greater than the law of sin in my members. The law of sin, which he just talked about in Romans 7, which, though holy and just and good, is inflamed by that law of sin in my members, and which uses it and actually brings us into further bondage to more sin. Brethren, life under the law is life, as we said Friday night, is life under the sun, S-U-N. It's vanity of vanities. And the results is that as the law exposes all men's sin and the law inflames sin and those who walk and live in the flesh, the law being impotent and weak to overcome their willpower of their, of their fallen nature, they fall short of the glory of God. That's what he says in verse 23. All have sinned, all are sinning, and are falling short, literally, falling short of the glory of God. This means that they are failing to glorify Him as our chief and highest goal and good. By nature, they fail to honor Him as God and, and glorify Him by their words, thoughts, and deeds as their end and good. And they also distort His glory. They pervert his image and corrupt his image among men by their deeds and by their actions. They distort his name and character among men and they seek to hide his glory, to hide the light of his truth and justice and righteousness. Despite degrees of sin, all men are falling short. That's the point. Not all men are as, as deep in sin as others. By nature, God restrains and has common grace and uh, restrains more than others, but nevertheless, all are falling short of the glory of God to which he's called us. It's a bleak picture. And thus the implication, as he says in verse 20, and this is the point, thus by the deeds of the law, the works of the law, no flesh can be justified in God's sight, period. Brethren, I just want you to take that at face value. Straight up, no chaser. <laughs> by the deeds of the law, no flesh can be justified. What are the works of the law and what aren't they? 
Now, I don't want to get deep here. Brethren, some of you who have studied this passage, you may know that there has been a big debate over the past few decades over the old perspective and the new perspective on the law, on the works of the law. I don't want to dive deep here. Let me just state definitively what I believe clearly the works of the law are, and I will tell you, we stand unashamedly and unabashedly with Paul and with the old reformers, brethren, that the works of the law are, in fact, works of attempted merit, attempted self-righteousness by which to earn and gain the favor and approval of God. The works of the law are, they would say, good works of righteousness ostensibly done in obedience to God's law, regarded by the Jews particularly as the meritorious ground of their acceptance with God, of their salvation, of their justification with God. All right, Think the Pharisees here. These works also included, certainly they included fastidiously keeping things like boundary markers, Sabbath-keeping, circumcision, food cleanliness laws that visibly consecrated and separated the Jews from the Gentile sinners, the clean from the unclean. They included all those things for sure. In the New Perspective, folks want to say that that's all there is, that the law, works of the law are simply about the boundary markers, that God's primary concern is Jewish exclusivism, Jews, Jewish, um, Jewish arrogance uh, above the Gentiles. They want to say that their concern, Paul's only concern in the gospel is to address their exclusivism and keeping the Gentiles at bay, their elitism, and their, but not their moralism, not their self-righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness in God's place, not their trying to earn and merit favor with God rather than humbling themselves like we saw. Remember we saw David several weeks ago that God would be true, though every man be a liar, including myself. That's what Psalm 51 is. It's David the king humbling himself. Let God be justified, not me. I am a sinner in his sight. By the works of the law, I love your law. David wrote Psalm 119, but his conclusion is, Lord God, you are the one that must justify. You are the one who is true and faithful, and I have not been. Brethren, that's, those are the words of the righteousness of faith. That's what justification is. Think to Luke 18, the classic passage on this, in terms of what do we mean by the works of the law. There we see the Pharisee, and there we see the tax collector. And you remember the Pharisee? He stands there and he prays, it says, within himself. I love that, because the Lord's not here. And he prays to him within himself, Oh, Lord, thank you that I am not like this tax collector here. I give tithes of all that I earn. I am careful on this. I, I am, you know, he, he makes his list. Thank you, Lord, that you have saved me from being like that and that I am, not, I am more just. In the tax collector, it says in verse 14, 13, he says, the tax collector would not so much as lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breasts and he says, literally in the Greek, have mercy upon me, the sinner. Oh, Lord, I know that I have no righteousness. I know that in my heart no good thing dwells in my flesh. I've seen it, and I've, I've seen how far I fall short of the glory. I am the sinner. Have mercy upon me according to your loving kindness. Jesus says, that man, I assure you, went down to his house justified. He that exalts himself will be condemned and brought low, but he that humbles himself will be exalted. Brethren, that's the issue of justification. If I say to you, what is justification? Remember our catechism. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein He pardons all of our sins. He accepts us as righteous in His sight. Why? Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by grace alone. 
counted to your account Jesus' righteousness for your unrighteousness. Your unrighteousness laid on Jesus as your, as your sacrifice, as your paschal offering to save you from his condemnation justly. Brethren, that is justification. It is God's declaring you once and for all righteous by virtue of an alien righteousness imputed to you and received by faith alone, not by the works of the law. Justification is related to pardon, but it's not the same. Pardon is negative, the remission of penalty or debt, but justification is positive. It is the bestowing of a righteous status, the sinner's reinstatement into the favor and fellowship of God. Pardon is the remission of punishment and condemnation, but justification declares that there is now no legal ground for punishment, and there is now a status of favor and acceptance and blessing in God. Do you see the difference? Brethren, it is an amazing thing to be justified. Justification is also different from sanctification, though again, they're related. To justify is to declare righteous, legally and judicially, not to make morally righteous. Now certainly when we are justified, we are also regenerated. The Lord gives us a new heart that is bent now towards righteousness, whereas before it was bent towards unrighteousness. He writes the law in our heart, but the spirit of the living God in the new covenant. And we are given hearts that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And therefore, because of that, the spirit works in us and sanctifies us. But brethren, the Lord's justification is not based upon subsequent obedience of faith. His justification is based on the righteousness of Jesus imputed and received alone. Brethren, you need to believe that. that. Jesus is all your righteousness, his righteousness in your place. It's a one-time act of God's free grace. Whereas sanctification, you remember from the catechism, is God's ongoing work of his free grace. Still free grace, but it's an ongoing work whereby we are redeemed and being redeemed in the whole man after the image of God and are being renewed and empowered more and more to die into sin and to live under righteousness. Thank God for sanctification too. But brethren, we are declared righteous because of Jesus' atonement and it's received by faith alone. And that's where I want your faith to rest. Because brethren, and let's put the application on this, you and I, it's not without reason that we include confession of sin in our liturgy each week. You and I sin. We are sinners. I am a justified sinner. I am a sinner who is being sanctified by the power of the Spirit. Thanks be to God. His law is working in me, and I am learning to love it more and more and to walk in it. But brethren, I dare not and you dare not rest your hope of acceptance with the living God upon your performance this week. I want you to rest your hope in the Lord on Jesus' righteousness as an objective reality. Yes, it's going to bear fruit in your life. Yes, you will. They that have received a verdict of justification will have hearts, regenerate hearts that will practice and pursue righteousness. Yes, those things are inseparable. Faith without works is dead, being unto itself. That's true. But brethren, you are not saved by your works. Don't look to your works as your status. And it's so easy to do, isn't it? It's so easy. 
on a given day. You know, maybe today I didn't fall into that particular sin to which I am prone. Maybe today, by God's grace, I stood fast and we give him thanks and praise for it. But brethren, don't fall into the habit of thinking today I am more acceptable to God and, and, I, and he is more pleased and I am more justified with him than I was on a day when I stumbled in sin. Brethren, your righteousness is in Jesus, not in your performance today. Do you believe that? Is that where your hope is? I pray it is. Let me read something from Doug Wilson. I love the way he put this. He said, The law, whether it's found in the Torah or it's cited elsewhere in the Old Testament or seen in the stars or found in the conscience of a Gentile, the law is utterly incapable of bringing a declaration of righteousness in the sight and in the court of the thrice holy and altogether righteous God. What the law does is first bring the bad news about sin about our bondage and sin. The law in whatever form is simply a messenger and a harbinger of trouble. It's not a savior. It's not a ladder to heaven. It's not a way of making you better than others. God gave it as a surefire instrument of making you worse. Romans 7, first and foremost. And all good little Christian kids as well as grown-ups Growing up in conservative churches with strong family values and morals had better take note of this. Brethren, that would include us, would it not? Parents, we must remember that our goal is to help our children be free. Free from slavery to sin. Free from guilt in Christ. That's our goal. Not primarily get them to just conform. I want them to be free from the uh, bondage to sin and to fly in the obedience of faith in Christ. With their eyes fixed on Jesus is all their righteousness. But bringing down the law as a means and an end in itself can never do that. Here's the, what it comes down to. The law in the form of rules and wrath and fear actually produces the opposite. It doesn't produce love of God. It produces hatred. It produces either unrighteousness or it produces self-righteousness, but it does not produce the righteousness of faith. It doesn't produce the obedience of faith. Yes, God calls us to love His standards with our children, but we are not to be accusers like Satan is, the accuser of the brethren. We are to be advocates like Jesus is. Helping our children find the way of freedom and liberty in Christ. Brethren, that's our call as parents. Point them to Jesus always. Secondly then, and lastly, we must receive the sinner-justifying righteousness of God and be justified freely by His grace. Verses 21 to 22 and 24. I'm just going to go through these quickly. God's grace reveals the righteousness of God apart from the law, and He, the, and he, or the righteousness of God, gives the cure for sin's guilt to all and his power upon all for all who are believing in Jesus Christ. That's Paul's point. God's grace reveals his own righteousness apart from the law. And it, that righteousness that he gives apart from law is the cure for sin's guilt and its power for all who are believing in Christ. That's the good news. But now, he says, notice what he says, but now. Speaking of this present time as well as the eschatological now. Now at the inbreaking of the, of, of, the, of the day spring from on high. At the changing of the new age, the new covenant, the new creation. Now, he says, the righteousness from God 
is and has been revealed, is being revealed. God's own righteousness, he speaks of here, when he speaks of the righteousness of God, he speaks of this two ways. There's been all kinds of stuff written about this phrase in the Greek, but the idea is it actually has a dual implication. One is the righteousness of God is his own righteousness in himself. God's absolute moral virtue and purity apart from sin. First John, in God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Right? No darkness, not even the ability or the inkling of sin, of unrighteousness. So it's God's righteousness in himself which he keeps him, by which he keeps his covenant, by which he always does righteously, and he is always faithful to fulfill his promises and his steadfast love to a thousand generations to save and bless his people in his faithfulness, undertaking to fulfill all the covenant conditions for himself and for his faithless and sinful people. So it's his righteousness, but it's also his righteousness which he gives. It's an imputed righteousness. The righteousness of and from God is a combination of his own righteous character, his own saving initiative, and it's a gift of righteous standing before him, which he imputes legally by faith. It is his just justification of the unjust, his righteous way of righteousing the unrighteous. Brethren, do you see it? Because God is righteous in himself. He takes it upon himself to fulfill his covenant for his unrighteous elect people by imputing his righteousness to them and counting it as their own by faith. And he even gives them the faith by grace. Hallelujah. Almost enough to get a hallelujah from a Presbyterian. Brethren, this is gospel. This is good news. God's righteousness stands over and against all unrighteousness and self-righteousness. And it's apart from the law, he says here. Yes, it came in Jesus first under the law. Remember Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time came, Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the curse and the crushing weight of the law, so that we might finally receive the adoption as sons of God, having been justified in His sight. Galatians 4.4. Jesus came under the law so that you and I would be saved apart from the law. And not under the curse of the law, but in the Spirit. And it says here that it was witnessed by the law and the prophets. I won't go through all the places that had. Just give you one verse. Remember Jesus says in John 5, 39, He says, You search the Scriptures, for in them you believe that you have eternal life. These are they which testify of Me. Remember in Luke 24, when Jesus is on the, the, the Emmaus Road and he's talking to them, and he says that he opened the scriptures to them, the law and the prophets, and showed them all the things concerning himself and his salvation. Brethren, Jesus is all over the scriptures. And so it says that this righteousness is through faith, through literally through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. What a glorious thing. It's through the faithfulness of Jesus to fulfill all righteousness and through faith in Jesus Christ. So brethren, you are saved by Jesus' faithfulness through faith and believing in Him that brings it to you. And it's to all, so it's a righteousness that is imputed, just given and accredited to you, accounted to you, a righteous status in Christ. And it's upon all, imparted to you, not by some sort of Catholic infusion Confusion, transfusion. Brethren, 
It's imparted by Jesus Christ, the righteous, coming and dwelling and living in you. His works, His righteousness in you, that's your only hope. So, brothers and sisters, here's the conclusion of the matter. Verse 24a, look what he says. Thus, by the righteousness of God, all who are believing, who are putting their faith and hope in Jesus, all who are believing Him and looking to Him as their righteousness, they are justified freely by His grace. Free, gracious justification of sinners by faith in Jesus frees us from the tyranny of self-life. It crucifies ourself and it rises up the new man with Christ. Brethren, this is what I want you to see. If you are justified freely, apart from the law, apart from works, apart from cost, apart from merit, freely by His grace, then brethren, that gets the benefit of saving you completely from any concern about yourself at all. You died with Christ. And you live with Christ. You were raised with Christ. The old man, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It is true for you. I am crucified with Christ. Do you see that to be so of yourself? I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Jesus now, the righteous one, lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the faithfulness and faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the heart of the Christian faith, brethren. So let me conclude them. Here's, the, here's what this means. What do you do with all this? What does it look like to seek your justification in God's righteous, steadfast love in Jesus and not by the law? Number one, it means that we're going to stop trying any at all to justify ourselves before men and before God. You know, justifying ourselves, first of all, we just, we're going to justifying ourselves to ourselves and others is actually a sure sign that we're also leaning on the law to justify us with God and with men instead of God's free grace and sinners to sinners. You ever notice this? There's a correlation. When people are very concerned about justifying themselves before men and what people think of them, I can assure you they are also people who are leaning on the law as their justification with God. Those two things go hand in hand. They always do. Brethren, those who truly believe and rejoice that they have been justified by God's free grace, by faith apart from the works of the law, apart from meriting anything, that have faith, faith and grace as free gifts and are looking to Jesus as their righteousness, I can tell you I know that they are doing that because what happens is in their relations with people, they become people who are gracious like God is. They become kind like God is. They are patient with other sinners like God is because they believe and obey the platinum rule. You know, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The platinum rule, as we see in Ephesians 5, do unto others as God has done unto you. So if God has been lavish in His grace and His kindness toward you, and yet we are not so towards other sinners, and we are condemning, critical, looking to put them down, looking to crush them under the weight of the law, brethren, that speaks to something of where you are seeking your own justification, does it not? It tells me something about your heart and my heart when we're that way. What God is justified by grace through faith in His righteousness let us never seek to unjustify by law through works in our own self-righteousness. And we'll be gracious, as I said, and kind and patient to others. We won't be given to quick judgment of them. We won't be given to scorekeeping. 
You know what I mean by scorekeeping. Maybe I don't say anything to you when you've done wrong to me or something, but I assure you I've got it up here, and when I need it, I'll pull it out. You know what I'm talking about. Brothers and sisters, being justified freely by grace is the end of the self-life. Self is dead, and Jesus is all my life. Brethren, that's what I want for you. I want you to live as justified people. You remember the hymn we often sing, Just as I am, without one plea, but that my God, that his blood was shed for me, and that he bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Brethren, I want you to believe that today. Jesus is all your righteousness, and he takes you today and tomorrow and next week and next year and ten years from now until the day you go. He takes you just as you are, and he meets you where you are because he is your justification. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to live like justified people who are justified by free grace. Father, I I know all too well in my flesh And I know from years of experience, Father, what it is to live as one who seeks to justify myself by the law, by heaping up rules upon rules, condemning and condemning myself, destroying myself and destroying others and condemning them under the weight of the law, trying to be sanctified by law instead of by the Spirit of the living God, seeking to be sanctified in the power of the flesh rather than in the power of Christ, the risen and righteous one who dwells in me. Father, I pray for us as a congregation that we would be a people that are besotted with, this, with the God of justification, the God of righteousness, and that we would be a people who live like we believe, that we are justified fully and completely, finally, by the blood of Jesus shed for us, not by the works of the law not by merit, and that we would deal with ourselves and that we would deal with others, especially our brethren, as you yourself have dealt with us. Help us, we pray, Father, to live as justified people. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.